we follow Jesus through the, the story that Luke has written for uh, Theophilus and by extension through, through Theophilus for us, uh, that we might know the reliability of the things that we have been taught about Jesus and what he has accomplished for us. This morning we'll be looking at Luke 5, verses 1 to 11. If, uh, if you don't have a copy of the Bible with you, uh, there's a stack of them in the back. Feel free to wander back and grab one. Um, if you don't have a Bible of your own, uh, please keep that one with you. Take it with you when you go. Um, and if you're using that copy of the Bible, then you will find Luke 5 beginning on page 860 of that copy of the Scriptures. I want to just start this morning by reading our passage. Uh, this is Luke 5, verses 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their, their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus has just said to others, this is at the end of chapter 4, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God, for that is why I was sent. And that's exactly what we find him doing here. He's with the people, he's teaching, and there's something about, something about the way that he teaches, something about the way that he speaks that draws people in. They come near. Uh, people recognize that in some way or another, this is some kind of a prophet. Uh, you, you have to respond one way or another to what he says, and they're fascinated by him, and at the very least, they're eager to hear him speak. And so they swarm him, and they're pressing in on him to hear the word of God. Verse 2, whoever can get closest to him hears him best. He's standing on the shore of this lake, and you can imagine the acoustics aren't the best. So if you're the person who gets closest to him, then you get to hear what he says. Well, that kind of Chaos is, uh, is not the best way of doing crowd control. It's not the best way of making sure that the greatest number of people can actually hear what Jesus says. So Jesus makes a switch. And he, he sees a boat that's nearby, and he gets into one of the boats, which we're told in 
Verse 3 is Simon's. The owners of the boat are done with their work for the day, or so they think. And at first, it looks like Jesus is just getting into this boat in order to create some space for him to be able to speak to the people. And in one sense, that's really true. This is kind of a logistical thing. He's, he's setting himself back away so that everybody has an opportunity to hear what he says. It, it looks like he's creating distance. And in one sense, that's true. But in a much more important sense, what we'll find in this passage is that he's actually drawing near. By getting into Simon's boat, that very action, uh, without words so far, signals an invitation that says, as I teach people, you're going to join me. Get into this boat with me. Jesus here, uh, even well before Simon and his co-workers recognize it, takes the first step to bring others into his teaching ministry. It looks like right now he's bringing them into that ministry kind of as stagehands. Set up this boat for me so that I can teach in a way that is uh, convenient. It turns out that there is much more to that. <clears throat> this is this is the introduction to Jesus drawing other people into his ministry of sending out a message. And that invitation is going to come in greater and greater detail throughout the book of Luke. It's going to become more explicit, and he's going to extend it to more people. And in many ways, the whole book of Luke serves as an invitation to share in Jesus' teaching ministry. The following up of that invitation, the taking up of that invitation, actually really helps in Luke's second, it really shows up in Luke's second volume in the book of Acts, where we find those who have taken up that invitation actually filling it out. <clears throat> There's a lot in Luke that introduces the invitation to join Jesus in what he's doing. We find that introduced here. In fact, at the end of this story, we're going to find Four things, four principles, four key ideas about what it means to join Jesus in his teaching ministry. What it means to join Jesus in sending out the message of the kingdom of God. Four things, we'll see those in the end. What we'll see first, though, is, is after Jesus has gotten into this boat, after he has taught the people, we're going to see this invitation to join him illustrated in verses 4 through 7. See the invitation illustrated. And then in verses 8 through 11, we're going to see that invitation clarified. We see it, see it illustrated first in verses 4 through 7. In, in, as we should come to expect a very unexpected way. Simon has helped Jesus out by allowing Jesus to use his boat as a teaching platform. And so we would expect Jesus to do some kind of favor in return for Simon. Uh, you, Simon, you helped me teach, so I'll help you fish. Now, Jesus is the teacher, Simon's the fisherman, but Simon helped Jesus teach. So it sounds as if Jesus says, I'm going to help you fish. So uh, verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, that makes all kinds of sense, kind of a one-for-one one kind of thing. 
unless you are Simon and the people with him. And if you are Simon and his fellow fishermen and the workers with them, then the suggestion that Jesus makes under these circumstances sounds ridiculous. It sounds absurd. This is what uh, one commentator mentioned that I think was very helpful that I read this week. Not only has a night's work by people who fish by profession produced nothing, but the nets used are for night fishing only. These guys know how to catch fish. They know how to do this. And they know that the fish are not coming around. They're not showing up. Th this particular type of fishing and these particular nets that they use, they use for fishing at night. And they did it at night and it produced nothing. They've already spent time cleaning their nets. They, they've already done a lot of work, including the labor of, of cleaning the nets that caught nothing. And now Jesus is telling them to put their nets back into the deep water again at a time when it seems like doing that is only going to create more work. We'll put our nets down again. We'll have to bring them back in. We'll have to clean them again. More needless effort. And so Simon acknowledges that. Master, verse 5, we toiled all night and took nothing. And yet, for some reason... He complies. He agrees to do it. And it's hard to tell whether Simon ex really expects anything to come of this or whether this is mainly just a matter of politeness to this great teacher and he doesn't want to embarrass him uh, by telling him he doesn't know what he's doing when it comes to fishing. And at the same time, there is here at least a seed of what looks like humble faith. Whether Simon really expects anything to come of this or not, he's willing to agree to the words of Jesus and do something that according to everything he knows will not produce anything. And so he says, at your word, at your word, I will let down the nets. Verse five. So let's just pause there. If we're following along with Simon, we, we start to catch the impression that this is not only about Simon, is it? This, this extends beyond him. We'll see that very clearly. But we, we know that to be true as well. And maybe you've seen similar things like this at work in your own life. Maybe, uh, maybe e even in your efforts to serve others, to serve in the church or outside the church in, in some way or another, uh, in your efforts to do things that are worthwhile for others, you've been presented with opportunities that really seem uh, fruitless, that really seem like they're coming at an inconvenient time, that seem like just another opportunity to waste more effort. Where you say, this, this is a bad time for this. I know, I know how, how serving in this area works. I know how this person will respond. I know this is not going to be worth it. You've been there? If you've been there enough times, then you know that there is one reason that we would say this isn't worth it, that we need to throw out. One argument for not bothering with this opportunity that needs to not be part of our argument. And that argument is, well, it's impossible, right? Here, here's Simon. He has every reason to say, well, it's impossible to catch any fish right now. Sometimes we're presented with opportunities where we have to say, you know what? 
I've, I've spent a lot of time with this person and he, she has proven himself or, him or herself totally uninterested in listening, just will not, refuses to. And so sometimes we have to say, I have to direct my efforts elsewhere. But sometimes we simply find ourselves saying, I just, this is just an impossible situation. And that's an argument that Luke, inspired by the Spirit, is encouraging us to throw out as we follow Jesus in his work. It's been introduced earlier, chapter 1, verse 37, to a woman who was told that she would conceive uh, without a husband uh, in a miraculous way, verse, chapter 1, verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. And that's what shows up here. They suddenly pick up more fish in their nets than their nets were designed to hold or that their boats were designed to hold. When they had done this, according to Jesus' word, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. What Jesus provides is both impossible for them to make happen and unmanageable for them once it happens. Sending very clearly the message to them that this is something that you cannot do on your own and that you cannot manage on your own. That's, that's a lesson that they need from the very beginning, even before Jesus calls them with words to join his work. Jesus provides for people who follow him, who join him, to do more than they can accomplish or handle. You comfortable with that? You comfortable with Jesus calling you to do more than you can accomplish or handle? Well, in one sense, we really shouldn't be uh, because we, we, we don't find our comfort in being able on our own to accomplish what we're called to or to handle it once Jesus provides it for us. But we're not on our own. That's the, the illustration of their invitation. I'm going to call you to something that is more than you can accomplish and more than you can handle once you do. And that basic realization sets them up for a crucial interaction with Jesus. In verses 8 through 11, when that illustration or when that invitation is clarified for them. They go in verses 8 through 11, or in, in verse 7 rather, from from empty to overflowing. Exactly when they don't expect it. And the contrast between those two is really important. All the way from empty to unmanageable overflowing. They have to see it that way. And we, we know why. We, we know why that contrast is so important when we look at ourselves. If, if you're pretty good at something and it accomplishes a fair deal most of the time, if you're pretty good at it, if you've had success with it recently, and then all of a sudden you have great success with it, uh, what conclusion do you come to? Well, you, you've, you've been working under the assumption, well, I'm pretty good at this because it accomplishes a pretty good deal. And then if all of a sudden it accomplishes a great deal, then the natural conclusion is, wow, I'm better at this than I thought I was. I must be really good at this. They need to see something better than that. They, they, they need to be taken through a time of emptiness in order to recognize who the provision is really coming from. 
It'd be so easy, wouldn't it be, for, for Peter to say, well, of course, of course this happened because I'm an adequate fisherman. I know how to do this. And now I have somebody that I can, that I can partner with uh, to make this happen even more significantly, even, even more meaningfully. You've been through situations like that where you know, you know you're, you're okay at it, and uh, then you find, yourself, you find yourself experiencing great fruit from it, and, and you start feeling like, wow, I'm better at this than I thought I was. I've, I've had that experience even in things that I'm not particularly good at. Um, if you've ever spent any time trying to play the game of golf, and if your experience has been anything like mine, then you have had a very limited number of experiences of that thing that they call the shot that keeps you coming back. You, you spend a lot of time hacking away at the ball, alternating between, I'm a rotten golfer and this is a stupid game. And, and here and there, you find yourself standing on the fairway, believe it or not, <laughs> over a ball that you hit onto the fairway. I remember this distinctly, standing there with my friend David on the uh, Eagle Grove golf course, uh, maybe 110 yards out, something like that. It's windy, and I'm, I'm used to just hacking away painfully at this ball. And, and I swung, and the swing felt beautifully, and I played the wind, and it landed on the green, and it stayed there. And David gave me a high five. And what does it tell me? I'm better at this than I thought. I'm good. I'm, to, to channel that great American film, What About Bob, where he yells, I'm sailing, I'm a sailor, and he's, he's strapped to the mast. Maybe you've seen this. I'm golfing, I'm a golfer, I know how to do this. I'm better at this than I thought I was. And we've all had those kind of moments in different areas, haven't we? I'm parenting, I'm a parent, I'm leading, I'm a leader. It's, wow, this is working so well. Um, I'm, I'm teaching, I'm a teacher, uh, I'm influencing, I'm an influencer, y you name it. Whatever it is that you've spent your life, your time doing, and you hit the shot that keeps you coming back, and you feel like, ah, oh, I knew I could do it the whole time. Sometimes we have to be taken through a time of obvious and even frustrating emptiness so that we don't get the wrong idea when the abundance shows up. And that's what happens for Peter and his friends here. It would be so easy for Simon, he hasn't actually been called Peter yet, for Simon, uh, when this happens, to, to say to Jesus, I tell you what, you come here every morning and you teach on my boat for as long as you want and then we'll just take my boat out and you tell me where to drop the nets and we'll take it from there. You join me and we'll get some things done here. It's, it's a lot like the theme that we saw through chapter 4, as we see people having this sense that if I can have a personal claim on Jesus' authority, then it will be very useful to me. And that, that appears to be what's behind what happens in uh, verse, verse 42 of chapter 4, just before this passage, when the people come to him and they seek him out and would have kept him from leaving them. He says, I have to go. And we might expect Peter to do exactly the same thing here. Let's 
stay with me, Jesus, and we'll take care of this together. And Peter does exactly the opposite. He responds in exactly the opposite way. Verse 8, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Simon gets the point. He gets the point of this provision. That so far, others don't seem to have gotten. Simon somehow gets it. And the point is this, I have no claim on you. I, I don't deserve the abundance that you provide. In fact, having you around, Jesus, whoever you are, uh, exposes me as unqualified and undeserving. So Simon says the opposite of what everybody else has said, depart from me. What, what brings him to that realization that I'm, I, I'm, I'm not qualified to receive the abundance you've provided. What, what helps him to see that is the difference between what he was able to produce on his own and what Jesus produces through him and for him. That's the explanation in verse 9. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. If your professional adequacy as a fisherman is running high, then you might miss this. You might miss the point that Simon gets. But if you toiled all night and took nothing, then you're set up with a different kind of perspective. You're set up to get the point. From there, when something really good happens, there's a built-in reminder of where it really came from so that you're ready to stay connected with where it came from. None of them knew what to make of this. They were all astonished. It didn't make any sense to them. It, the, the timing didn't make sense. This was, this was a night fishing strategy that produced way more fish than they would expect on any night. And then the unexpected continues. At the end of chapter 4, the people said to Jesus, Stay with us. And Jesus said, I have to go. Now Peter says, Lord, depart from me. And Peter, instead of saying, I have to go, see you later, he says, come with me. Come with me. Join me. You know you're a sinful man. You're right. That's exactly who I came for. And that is exactly who I intend to use. That's exactly who I, ha who I intend to have join me. From now on, he says to Peter, verse 10, you will be catching men. Here's the point that Simon, also called Peter, he's not called Peter until he says to Jesus, depart from me for I am a sinful man. There's this confession of his undeservingness and that name Peter shows up there. Here's the point that Jesus has for Simon, Peter, and the others. Jesus will use the undeserving to gather the undeserving to himself. Jesus will use the undeserving to gather the undeserving to himself. He is inviting them into his ministry and not as stage managers. He's inviting them to do the same kinds of things that he's doing. This miracle of provision of providing fish, points to a far greater provision. As Jesus has illustrated 
And now, with just a few words, he begins to explain. And now, in this moment, the fish and the nets and the boats all get put into proper perspective. While the tendency would be to try to, in a sense, ask Jesus into my life. Come into my life. Come into my fishing work. Be part of this with me and make this more abundant than I can make it for myself. Um, They, once again, do the opposite. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. Here's a huge catch of fish. These guys are fishermen. There's provision here, great provision, and yet they leave it behind. All of it. We'll come back to this in a minute, but what we see happening here, again, all of this in introductory ways, is that following Jesus, joining Jesus in his work, changes your value system. It changes your relationship with your stuff. It causes you to make decisions about the things you own, your resources, whether they're physical resources or time or energy, that would not make sense if you weren't with Jesus and won't make sense to those who are not with Jesus. But they're worth it. The catch of fish is not a payment, but an invitation. And they take it. And the invitation is from now on, Simon, John, James, those of you who will follow me, you will be catching men. You will be catching people. So how should we understand that to relate to us? This is a story that's told about somebody else almost 2,000 years ago. Simon Peter is the one being spoken to in this passage. And yet, even in the very passage, we find that it extends. What Jesus says extends beyond Simon Peter. You have James and John following along with him. This is happening toward the beginning of Luke, toward the beginning of Jesus' ministry, at the place when Jesus introduces the fact that he's going to call other people to join him. And then at the very end, we find reason to extend Jesus' invitation to all of his followers. Because this is what Jesus says after he's been raised from the dead. This is Luke 24, starting in verse 46. From the mouth of Jesus, thus thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses of these things. Jesus is talking to Peter and to James and John, and to the other disciples, to the other followers of Jesus, beyond the twelve who are with him in the room. You are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses of the fact that repentance and forgiveness of sins are to be proclaimed in the name of Jesus to all the nations. So, this extends to all of us. Jesus has called his followers to join him in the work of proclaiming, making known, including with words, the message of repentance and forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus. Now, we know that that is what we could call multifaceted work. There are many different ways of joining Jesus in that kind of work. Many different kinds of gifts, many different kinds of equipping. 
And so when, when you hear about this call to, to all of Jesus' people together to be a part of making that message known, uh, some of you hear that and you say, that is exactly my heartbeat. I have 10 people in my life right now that I'm, that I'm telling that message to, and I wish there were 20. And that's so good. That's so good. And, and others of us will say, you know what? Um, my, my particular part of that role is to perhaps help Christians who are struggling to trust Jesus with the details of their lives. They're locked up. They're in some form of bondage, even though they trust in Jesus. They're not experiencing the full results of repentance and forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus. My primary job is to help them, to help them become more like Jesus as a result. Uh, you, you, you may find that the reality is in your life that, you know, I'm, I'm mainly called to serve with action. I'm more of a doer than a sayer. I, I, I do things more than I say things. And that's great too. God has called some people primarily to a ministry of communicating. God has called some people primarily to a ministry of serving practically. That's all part of God's design. And this call to make the message about Jesus known is a call that we all share. It's a call that we all share. And so it's a call that it's important for us all to feel our connectedness to. It may be that that's mainly a support thing. It may be that it's something we're right in the middle of. But I, I, I think this passage would call all of us, especially this passage as it's connected to Luke, would call all of us to feel the priority of making this proclamation about Jesus known to those who haven't heard it, to those who don't know it. So uh, I'm, I'm going to give us one assignment, one concrete assignment. Some of you are earning extra credit on this assignment already. For some of you, this is going to be so elementary, you might just kind of, your eyes might go crossed. That's okay. We need you in our church. Uh, for some of us, this will be an opportunity to, uh, to reboot owning the priority of making Jesus known. For some of us, it may, may be a first step past um, just sort of an obstacle of fear that stands in our way. Here's what it is. Um, in your bulletin, if you have a bulletin, uh, this may have fallen at your feet already, there's an index card, a blank index card. If you didn't get a bulletin or if you don't have one, um, then I've got more. I can give you an index card. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Again, this is a very first step in engaging together in the priority of making Jesus and his work known to those who don't know him. I want to I ask you over the next 24 hours to write one name on this card. The name of one person that you know, as best you can tell, does not know Jesus, has not experienced the forgiveness of sins, hasn't experienced the freedom of repenting and turning to him. One person you know. Doesn't have to be a person you know well, although if it's a person that you have opportunity to speak to regularly, all the better. Write down one name. Now, I'll, I'll even pause there. Some of you have 12 names on your list already. Some of you, perhaps, when you hear write down one name, uh, get a little jittery. Um, I'm with you. I feel that. 
here's what I'm going to ask you to do with that one name as a first step. What, what do you do when you're called to be a part of something that you know you cannot make happen? That you know just seems impossible, untimely. Maybe the first name that comes to you is the name of a person where you have no idea whatsoever how to enter into a spiritual conversation with this person. Right now, I'm not asking you to enter into a spiritual conversation. If you do, good. That's great. Here's what I'm asking you to do. To ask. To ask. If you know you can't do it, and you can't figure out how, and you don't know where to start, ask. Use the name on this list to ask, Lord, here's this person that doesn't know you. They need to know you. Would you bring this person close to where the nets are being let down? You did it for Simon. He didn't bring the fish close. Jesus brought the fish close. Would you bring this person near to where the nets are being let down? Would, would you pray that for this person over the next two weeks? Now, as you can imagine, that's probably not the end of the story in your interaction with this person. But what each of us needs to know as we join Jesus in making him known together in a variety of ways is these four things that show up in the end of this story. I just want to recap them briefly as you imagine having a name on your card. First, one, one thing from, from each of verse 8, 9, 10, and 11. First, Jesus embraces the unqualified. Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. And Jesus does not depart. He says, come with me. <clears throat> Do you feel like a hypocrite telling somebody else that they can be forgiven for their sins? Do you feel unqualified to catch people? Jesus embraces the unqualified, not only to receive the news, but to give it. Uh, Jesus has chosen to have people send out the message of forgiveness who feel their need of that forgiveness as they give it out. That's you, and that's me. It may very well be that your own feeling of not being qualified because of your own sin becomes part of the story that you tell somebody about the forgiveness that's available to them <clears throat> in Jesus. Remember that as you pray for the person on your card. Jesus embraces the unqualified. The next, uh, from verse 8, a as we see that, um, I'm sorry, from verse 9, that they were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. Be receptive to surprises. You don't have to make them up. You don't have to decide uh, how your interaction with the person on this card might work out. But, but as you pray, would you be open to surprises? Open to the fish coming near to the net in a way that you thought was just utterly impossible? Uh, be, be open to those surprises. Sometimes Jesus provides in the most unlikely ways. When the provision shows up at exactly the time that you know it shouldn't, you know who's there providing it. And you know that you need him there because if the fish come near to the net, then you may have more work to do. Here, here's the third thing. Jesus embraces the unqualified. Be receptive to surprises. Verse 10 Catching people is different from catching fish. It's different. 
when Jesus says to Simon, do not be afraid, from now on you will be catching men, the word that he uses for catching shifts just slightly. He's told Simon and his friends, let down your net for a catch. And then he, there's a similar word that's used in Luke for catching people in verse 10 that uses that same root word for catching, but it adds onto it the word alive. The word alive. So here's this same commentator, Joel Green, makes this observation about that shift in wording. Disciples will no longer catch dead fish in order to sell them in the marketplace, but will catch people giving them liberty. You will catch people alive. You will catch people for life. This is an important thing for us to remember as we consider making the message about Jesus known, because we can, we can very easily act just like fishermen who are catching people to use people rather than to set them free. Sometimes this can be a really sneaky thing, right? There can be a temptation to want somebody to uh, follow along with the Jesus that we're following so that, so that we'll look good. Uh, there can be a temptation to say, I want, I want these people to be a part of my church so that there are more people in my church, maybe even more impressive people in my church. Uh, essentially trying to get people to follow me so that they will be part of my kingdom, believe the good news of my kingdom. That can be a sneaky attitude that can be a part of all of us. Jesus intends to do a better kind of catching through us, to catch them alive not for our purposes, not to sell them in some way or another, but to set them free. Number four, and I mentioned this already, but from verse 11, when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is not a vow of poverty. Uh, th there, there's nothing here that says everybody who follows Jesus ought to be uh, poor for the rest of their lives. But at a very basic level, Jesus changes your relationship with your stuff. He changes your relationship with your money. He changes your relationship with your time and energy, with all of your resources. He, he changes the way you make calculations about those things. So that there will be times in your life, as you follow Jesus, as you join him in his work, there are going to be times maybe even in small ways, where you're faced with a decision to say either, I'm going to trust in my resources, I'm going to keep them, I'm going to use them for myself, I'm going to trust in them, or I'm going to trust in Jesus. And sometimes those happen in really big ways. Sometimes those happen in ways where we say, I see a huge financial need over here, and my finances aren't perfect, but this need is so clearly a part of what Jesus is doing that I'm going to sacrifice to give money to this need and I'm not sure how I'm going to be provided for. But you realize that this, this is a part of what Jesus is doing. That's where I am. I am part of his life, so I'm going to give and I'm going to trust him. Uh, sometimes it's a little bit less dramatic, but just as practical. And you may find yourself saying, in order to have what I need, I need eight hours of sleep every night. And maybe you do. Maybe as a general rule, that's a wise way to live. And yet you find yourself interacting with a person who's really struggling with trusting Jesus, for instance. They've got real questions or, or they're just going through a really, really hard time. And you realize, I really don't have a choice here. As a follower of Jesus, as, as somebody who's trying to help other people follow him, um, 
I, I either can decide I got to provide sleep for myself or I'm going to join Jesus in what he's doing over here. And, and in the end, that's a decision about whether I'm going to trust him to provide for me or trust me to provide for myself. And when you follow Jesus, you can expect that those calculations will change in a wide variety of ways. And you can expect that that new way of calculating is worth it. It's always worth it. Uh, we've experienced over and over and over those kinds of situations in which we go into a conversation or some kind of a ministry effort or an opportunity to give and think, oh, I didn't choose this. I don't know how this is going to end up. I cannot guarantee that anything good is going to come out of this. And yet, Lord, I have two choices. I, I can say, um, no, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to follow you into this need that you've obviously set before me um, because I'm going to care for myself. Or I'm going to follow you into this need and I am totally dependent on you to provide and to care for me through it. And we've had some of those situations where the choice was obvious, what to do. Maybe it's a need with a person or, or a way of spending time. And so many times we have seen him provide uh, for us. We've seen him do things that we know our emptiness has proven we could never do on our own. He does it. He provides. He, he will do it for you. I, I, I'm sure that many of you have seen those same things before. It's easy to forget, isn't it? You trust Jesus, you go in, you find him faithful, you come up for air, and then you're faced with another impossible situation. And then, if you're like me, you panic again. And then you have to remember once again, who's with you to do the impossible? Who's with you who has purchased the fulfillment of the promise in 1 Corinthians 15, 58? Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Father, as we do our work, we want to do our work in the Lord. We want to do our work in Christ. And we know that there are going to be times when working in Christ faces us with what, what is to us impossible. Impossible to make happen and impossible to manage. So we thank you that we're not alone. I pray that you would work through us to do more than we can even manage on our own. In Jesus' name, amen.